Okay, thank you everybody for joining another Pro Report podcast. So far, these have been turning out pretty successful. We've had some great guests, some great topics, and really great number of downloads and eyeballs and listens and all those kind of stats. We're charting on iTunes and etc. So uh, if you are just catching this for the first time, uh, you can catch other podcasts on progreport.com. We're on iTunes, on Google Play, on our YouTube channel, and... Um, everywhere else on Facebook and Twitter and, and so on. Today, uh, we have another great panel, two guys that I'm really happy to have joining me to discuss another one of my favorite bands. And, you know, at some points we might talk about some of the biggest bands in the world, like Dream Theater or, you know, something like that. And, and at other times we might talk about bands that maybe deserve to be a lot bigger than they are which may be the case with this band. You may or may not agree, but my hope is that other people might listen to this and decide that they need to check out this band as well if you don't already know uh, about The Deer Hunter, which is the band we're going to do a top five on today. So the first uh, guest I'm going to introduce is Jordan Blum, who is a great reporter, reviewer. He's written for Prague Magazine, for Pop Matters, Rebel Noise, Classic Rock Society. He's written some things for the Prague Report. Uh, he's an author himself, and he's super well-versed in all things Deer Hunter. So, Jordan, say hi. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Cool. Well, thanks, uh, thanks for joining, man. I appreciate it. You taking the time thanks to do for, it. Thanks for the introduction. <laughs> Very flattering. Did I cover most things okay? Was that all right? Yeah, I mean, I also I also write for Metal Injection. If anybody cares, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we left one out. All right, cool. And uh, so, also, I'm really really excited to have uh, you know every when we can get a great musician of another one of the bands that we like to join and come and talk about another band. It's always a lot of fun. So I'm really happy to uh, welcome Connor Green from Haken. Hi. <laughs> beforehand so i just kept quiet so if anybody's not familiar with haken which i can't imagine if you're listening to this podcast you must be a fan of haken at this point one of the i don't know if up and coming is a is a fair assessment anymore you guys are already there i mean you guys are are really have a, a big name for yourselves um you know you're touring all over the world uh it's 10th anniversary just celebrated i mean talk about what's been going on with the band lately well, uh, we just did uh, Cruise to the Edge, which was fun. That was that's Yes's um, big cruise, and you know we come kind of off of uh, doing a lot of the Mike Portnoy Shattered Fortress stuff last year, and so now we've kind of moved on to um, well, back I should say to Haken stuff, um, kind of working on some new material here and there, trying to get some uh, some good stuff going on. So lots of things happening behind the scenes, and uh, eventually we'll be able to. To talk more about that, but yeah. yeah, what's your what's your sort of downtime like when the band's not you know recording right now? You guys just finished the tour, like you said, and all that, so you have a few months off. I mean, you did to just sort of relax. Are you writing? Do you play in other other bands on the side? What do you do? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, writing's kind of happening all the time. Uh, sometimes a lot of writing. Sometimes it's just you know a normal amount of writing that musicians do. Uh, and you know, I I obviously work 
for other musical groups, no bands really, but just kind of, uh, you know, playing bass for people that need it around town and uh, locally. And the other guys do the same thing. Um, and uh, I, I think they, they teach, I teach, um, they do session work, I do, set, you know, all this stuff. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, they have our hands in a lot of different baskets you know so to speak if that's the expression i don't even know what it is uh, and uh, yeah it's, it's a, you know, there's not a lot of downtime really it's just kind of we're not touring the world i guess right it's, right right yeah. well cool i know um i mean i guess we're all anticipating the next album which is going to be great i'm glad things are going well for the band um i know so the reason why you uh were invited and i, I thank you for for joining this discussion on the deer hunter is i know you're a big fan of that band and all the guys from Haken always talk about on Facebook. I see different things about how you guys like the band. And I did a previous thing with Ross Jennings, a Haken singer about a month ago, and he even brought them up and uh, in, in what he was talking to me about. So how long have you been a fan of the deer hunter and why the uh, sort of, I don't know, fandom of Haken towards that band, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I've been listening to them since I was in high school, which was, uh, I guess, 2010, 2011 ish. Uh, and they were one of the first really progressive bands that I started listening to. I mean, obviously, I got into Haken and Dream Theater kind of first. That was those are my my gateway bands into uh, progressive music, I guess. And um, yeah, I, I, when I heard them, I because they're not, you know, your typical kind of prog metal, prog rock sound. Like, right. to me, that, you know, that's prog and progressive music so ambiguous, it doesn't really matter what it sounds like as long as it's progressive, which I guess is, you know, subjective as well. But I don't know. There was just something about, you know, that had the, the story element with, you know, Act 1, Act 2, etc. Uh, which, when I, when I learned about the band, the only albums that were out were Acts 1 through 3. Right. So right. Uh, that's that was my first... Uh, foray into the band and I was like oh man all these are connected and, and I don't know the music's so uh, varied and and it's not just one sound you know they go from a rock song to a you know like a string quartet kind of piece to horns to all this stuff and uh, I don't know it really I think the variety is what initially attracted that's me. what that's what for me too and I, I want to ask you guys about that because to me I find it weird that when I hear them, and I hear especially Casey's voice, Casey's a singer, uh, they sound like they could have fans of uh, the same bands, same fans that like like Death Cab for Cutie or, mm -hmm. you know, Snow Patrol or I, I don't know, like sort of that, uh, sort of those alternative bands that are a little bit more experimental, right? And and but for whatever reason, they haven't found the same success as those bands, and seem to end up more in the prog world, like touring with Coheed and Cambria and they're on tour right now with Between the Buried and Me and stuff that seems like it wouldn't make sense. And I don't know how that ended up for them. Maybe that's their preference, but I always wonder, wouldn't they make more sense touring with like a Death Cab or something? Yeah, well, they definitely would. But the thing is, is, you know, with, with a band like the Deer Hunter, they're just... They're so hard to just put into. Okay, this is a cat. This is a pop band. This is a pop rock band that can tour with Snow Patrol or something. It's like the, people they need this really cohesive. I shouldn't say cohesive. What's the word? They need this like this band that 
that sounds the same on every record. Maybe know? that's what is missing for that audience on the pop side is that is that not every song like like a song we'll get into it I'm sure but one of their later songs like Waves seems like an obvious pop hit to anyone but but very few of their songs sound like that right so I guess that that must be it I mean it's befuddling to me I just, I just saw them last weekend at uh down here and uh with Leprous and Between the Buried and Me and the three bands couldn't be more different but all the audience likes all three bands, and I think that's that's a really cool thing. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of people in the uh, the Deer Hunter group on Facebook asking who Between the Buried and Me are, because I'm seeing them on Saturday, um, and I love all three bands. But I, if I didn't love Between the Buried and Me, then I would, yeah, I would think if I love the Deer Hunter but not Between the Buried and Me, and I heard Between the Buried and Me, I would think that they really don't go together. Right, but it is an interesting lineup. Yeah, but if you talk to, you know, Tommy Rogers from Between the Buried and Me, he loves the Deer Hunter. Like, yeah. I mean, that's like the same way that you guys from Haken like them. So uh, it's, a, it's a weird thing with that band. And maybe that's why um, not as many people have realized the, the band's music. And, and so that's what I hope to maybe do here today is sort yeah. of shed a light on that. And so explaining a little bit more about the band, um, it started with this Act One album and... and They've since, over many years, completed five albums called Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, Act 4, Act 5. And they have longer titles, but you can look look those up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't remember all of those. So we're going to start. And, and the, the five acts together tell this whole story about a character that is the deer hunter. And, and that's how the whole thing started. And there's re, there's themes that intertwine between all five albums. There's stuff on the first album that appears on the fifth album. and that And those were recorded seven years apart. So that's what's really interesting. And, and I actually, I'm going to admit something that I was not a fan of the band until the fifth album, until Act 5. Oh. I knew of them. I thought they were more of an alternative band from the couple of things I had heard, and I never dove into the other songs. And when I got Act 5, it was one of those things for me where I lost, like, I lost my shit over it. Like, huh. I went, what, how did I miss this? And that's only happened to me a couple of times where immediately I went and got all the records right away and dove headfirst into it like crazy. Um, you know, Porcupine Tree I only discovered with In Absentia. So too, I lost yeah. my mind over them and I come to find they had like six albums before, which was amazing. So I love that when you can sort of dive into all this music all at once. But so, I, you know, I come from learning about the Deer Hunter from Act 5. I didn't hear... Act one first. So I think that's sort of an interesting actually way to look at it. Um, because I'm not sure listening to act one first by itself, which only has seven or eight songs. And I think only maybe four or five with lyrics with singing. Um, that's a really weird album. So we'll start on that. Uh, so Jordan, why don't you go first on your choice for act one and explain, you know, a little bit about uh, it. Yeah. Well, I, I discovered, um, with Act Three was between Act Three and the Color Spectrum, and now when I think about, as you just said, like introducing somebody to them, I probably would start with Act One just because, as you said, there's a lot of repeats and and themes. Um, but I so my choice is maybe the obvious one. We'll see what you what you two have, but I pick City Escape. Um, yeah, not, so that, not my choice. Like, so good. <laughs> see, that's good. Um, I mean, after you know, Batista Mel del Fuoco, uh, which is. It sets the you know the precedent for the the um, vocal rows that they use on later albums too. City Escape to me is 
is the, I, in a way the first sign of them um, and, and the musicianship behind them. It's a heavier song, um, which I find is sort of indicative of the first two albums is the heaviness. Um, but it always reminds me of the Mars Volta. Yeah. And it's, it's one of the more like progressive metal songs almost. Um, but the changes that it's just a very progressive song and it's just, it, there's so many changes in it, especially for a song that's not even six minutes, it's about six minutes. It goes into progressive metal territory. Then it almost goes into like vaudevillian territory, which foreshadows later stuff. It's just a very diverse and dynamic and, and ambitious song. Yeah. It just grabs you. Cooking history, revealing thoughts of mystery. you connor uh well i um let me preface this by saying it's every song like in these acts it's it's impossible to choose just one that's like, oh, this, <laughs> but uh, i'll try and you know yeah okay so <laughs> uh my choice is 1878 um and i guess for me uh i think what got me with this one was uh first the the groove like right away is like this kind of veiled seven groove and I don't, it just something was really neat about it but then uh, when i heard the chorus i was like oh there's this voice that i hear that's not casey's and i love that voice because i'm a fan of that band too so the the chorus you know they, this is call and response thing between casey and this guy called dan nigro who sang for uh, as tall as lions uh it's another band that's uh, no longer together but uh hearing you know these two voices that i love that complement each other so well and you know it's probably the most maybe not the most melodic but the the melodies kind of uh speak to me a certain way i, I just love it and then the end has this like organ solo i don't know yeah all of the sounds that trickle past your introspective ear and attempt to discover I love 1870. That's absolutely one of my favorites. So I'm, but I'm gonna just to show the further diversity of this album. I'm gonna pick uh, the Pimp and the Priest, which is the the song right after. 
which that's that becomes that whole kind of vaudevillian. Uh, I guess that's the perfect word for it, with like horns and trumpets and and uh, starts to tell this. I mean, significant characters with the pimp and the priest and all this stuff that sort of happens later. And we're not going to delve into the whole story on this because there's blogs for days that you could find online. And <laughs> people have gone not right. Have you seen that stuff right where people analyze the story? Yeah. It's crazy. I have um, a bookmark. Yeah. So, uh, but the yeah, I mean. What I loved when I went back, like I said, after listening to, to Five, I started going back. And when you discover Act One, you're like, from 1878 to The Pimp and the Priest to then this amazing sort of epic ballad with His Hands Match His Tongue, which comes right after. I mean, it is it is one song after the next that has nothing sound-wise to do with the one before it. And yeah. it's just brilliant. That on it on the surface makes it a brilliant album. So that's, I'm going to go with The Pimp and the Priest on that one, which which I think is great. going to be my choice but then i i decided on city escape yeah that's a tough one that brings us to act two which i think is really uh uh shows a growth for the band and is very different from act one mm-hmm. right there's a lot more rock on this this album there's a lot more sort of explosive songs where do you go with this one jordan um well i think uh, overall i think this is still my favorite of all of their albums I don't know why. It's just I think it maybe is the most diverse and the most raw. Um, I think raw is a good word for it. It's it's less yeah. it's less of the overblown sort of orchestrated production that ends up on on yeah. the other records. In a sense, it's like the most. Yeah, I think it's in a sense the most stripped down record. Um, kind of. So yeah. the one I again, this one is. I mean, I had trouble with all of them. I love Evicted. I love Red Hands. But I had to settle on the last one, Vital Vessel Vindicates, mm-hmm. um, because I just love, I don't know, it's just, it's kind of like a, it's got a whimsical start, um, and it just, I mean, all they, they do such a good job of ending their albums, and, you know, not so much foreshadowing where it's going to go, but just leaving you in suspense, almost like a cliffhanger. Right. Um, so aside from the kind of carnivalistic like, whimsy of it, the real reason I chose this one and the real reason I didn't choose the pimp and the priest is because, as you mentioned before, 
the, the, the continuity between the albums, and then this one ends with the reference to the Pimped and the Priest with the cease, uh, uh, Sing Softly, Sing Me to the Lake reprise, right. which like sends chills down my spine when that comes back. So that's really the reason I picked it, is it's, it's almost, it may be the first callback to a previous piece, um, which they would go on to do, and that's you know one of their trademarks. Right. Yeah, I think that's I think that is true with that. I think when I interviewed uh, Casey a long long time ago, I think he pointed that one out with with the pimp and the priest um, being being the, the first repeating theme that that they went for. Connor, what about you? Uh, well, I, I re-listened to this record. I, I Same as Jordan, I think this is probably my favorite. It was the first one I heard uh, years and years ago. Uh, and I had trouble with it, too. <laughs> but I think um, the, the obvious choice after I listened to the record was The Lake and the River. Uh, I, you know, once the, that evicted theme comes in, like halfway through... And then you hear a tune later on. It's just the whole thing. Just, there's not one part of the song. It's nine and a half minutes. There's not one part of the song that I'm, that I'm you know, bored at. It's, it's engaging for nine and a half minutes. And uh, if you can do that, then yeah. Huh. His leaves were bold. I see them I've seen them a couple of times live this seems to be the album they leave out though have you noticed that at all yeah I don't think he wants to play Red Hands anymore period right yeah and actually that that leads into my choice which is Red Hands and I don't know why he doesn't like that song but um, unless you have unless you've read why I'm not sure uh, well I've noticed um, it shows people yell it out and um, I have heard him play it acoustically once, uh, but I think it was just one of those songs that's, you know, it's the most um, kind of accessible one on the album. I think uh, yeah. when 
first released it, there were loads of people obsessing about this song only. And um, I could be wrong, but maybe there's a bit of like, you know, he doesn't want to satisfy this kind of like pop uh, thing where they want, oh, the hit song played. So he just doesn't play it almost out of spite. It almost seems. He has that about him. And I, again, just, I don't mean to do it, but going back to in speaking to him and also reading other interviews, he, he, likes to not write what people expect. He likes to not write the hit, the obvious. I, yeah. I think that's probably it. I mean, Red Hands is blatantly a hit single to me. And oh, yeah. it has a great hook in it. It's it and the power at the end and the build where he brings back the chorus and there's this shout back from the, you know, the band uh towards the end. That is just is so incredible to me and gets me so amped up. I mean, um yeah, that song that song blows me away. If you're not red-handed, my darling, I would never say those words to you. I was pulling out my heart so I could pin it to my sleeve on display for you to see. I'm on display. Another thing to note on Act Two is is that he, this is where they start the uh, the bitter sweets. Um, yeah. So there's part one and two, and then part three, and then those get re- repeated as other songs. Bitter uh, part four and five and six, I think later on later albums. So he he was planning all of this all along, which um, which I just think is is genius. I will say this yeah. is you, interesting that you guys. So you guys came into the band earlier and heard this album early, and this is your favorite record. And actually, for me, I think it might be my least favorite. So I oh. wonder if that's because I heard it sort of towards the end. I went backwards. So I wonder yeah. if that's, you know, how that that works out. But I do love it, and it, it is fantastic. And uh, all right, so I think for me, once you start getting into Act 3, you start getting into the real sort of more fleshed-out material um, and th- I think this is it, for me. It's hard to pick between three, four, and five as what their best album is. Um, I, I think I think I they're was, all perfection. I think th- I love again. Like I love all of it, but I I still think three is my least favorite of the five. Wow. Okay. See, this isn't <laughs> no accounting for taste. Uh, but okay. So what what would be your choice from three though, Jordan? We'll we'll go with you. Um, <laughs> to remind myself which one I picked. Oh yeah. Um. Maybe a waste of a vote, but I picked the first, the opener, "Writing on a Wall." 
don't okay. know if that's it's not really even like a that's song. That's like an yeah. intro vocal thing, but okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was it was again like with all of it, it's a toss between three at least. But I, I settled on that one because I think it's one of their trademarks is to have a vocal row like this, to have an opening yeah. sort of acapella moment. And between this one and the opener on, the, on Act One, I always you know struggle which one I like more. But I think this one is more complete. I think um, it's just it's warm and it really reminds me of you know the Beach Boys and Brian Wilson at, at his height when he was doing stuff like this. Yeah, no, um, I do love this opening for sure. Come away, young man, with a crown that's red and you need a mask to breathe. Oh, it's been so hard, but your luck could change if you just roll up your sleeves. We had tried our best to long before, but it didn't get you far. Now we're here again with the wish to end your agonizing scars. just it's it's very orchestral and it's very bombastic in a different way than like city escape or their other stuff before that and it's just it, it there's like a tonal shift you know near the end too that it's up it's like very open and lively but it's also kind of for foreboding which goes along with the kind of plot of act three which you're not gonna get into yeah but it it foreshadows that i think well this is also the head like one of the heaviest albums like subject yeah. matter wise right so mm-hmm. uh, uh, uh connor what do you what do you got for this one yeah uh well uh this one was probably the toughest for me to choose because there's a few of them that you know, kind of go along this line of it's it's a heavy record like it's you know it's bordering on that heavy rock metal region yeah. of uh music but yeah so in cut of venom the that um the one after riding on a wall, that uh, that opening riff and that the like the screaming kind of thing that Casey does, like the melodic screaming thing. Yeah, uh, this is my favorite example of that, and it, it's probably like, for the Deer Hunter, all the material. I think my favorite stuff that Casey writes are the more chilled, uh, emotive kind of uh, stuff, where you know it's all about the melody and. Uh, the instrumentation is, you know, orchestral or little acoustic guitar here and that. You know, all the chilled stuff kind of gets me. But for this record, I think the Incada Venom, just the sheer heaviness of it, hearing it live is like, oh man, is uh, you really feel it. And, uh, yeah, I think I have to go with that. We're fighting our sons and everything awoken with a new Yeah. 
he still plays um, from this album. There's a few songs that seem to always make it to the live show, especially Mustard Gas, which is just mm-hmm. massive live. And that's also an intense song. It's sort of real heavy. Um, but I just love the diversity on this album. Like, I, I love the opening. You know, you chose t- uh, both of you, songs one and two, which opened the record. And then there's a lot of heavy stuff in the middle. And then you get into a song like This Beautiful Life, which is like Beach Boys or something. And then yeah. Go Get Your Gun, which is like Dixieland or something. And then, and then for me, it's the ending. I'm going to pick Life and Death, the last song, which is border, bordering on possibly my favorite song by the band altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you listen to it with um, the song Son leading into the song Father, which is uh, both are just these amazing orche- orchestral, I mean, somber, I mean, the emotion between those songs and the melody and the whole thing. I It's just for a guy to be able to write that on the same album that he wrote, a song like Mustard Gas and... and all this other stuff. I just don't know how he does it. I, that hit me really hard. And Life and Death, not lyrically. Lyrically, it's in, it is what it is also. But I love the melody. I love the whole grand mega orchestra massiveness of Life and Death at the end. This It absolutely just floored me the first time yeah, I heard it. Like those last three are, I mean, I, I kind of, it's hard for me to see them as separate songs. They're right. very much sweet. Um, and I was going to pick Life and Death because as you said, like he, he shows such diversity and like bomba- like going from the bombastic rock sound, if not metal, and just it's very grandiose. And then even like the transition from Father into this, it's so like soft and quaint. And then it's just his voice is so tender during it. And yeah, yeah, I, and then I, it, it's a it's a brilliant song. Brilliant, the whole thing about it is amazing. Yeah. And he's saying, one of these days you will learn to be loved again. It's 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 a tearjerker moment, to be honest. Yeah. Listen, I, I, I'm one of these guys that always goes with the music first. If the music hits me, I'll, I'll delve into the lyrics and sort of yeah. see what the song's about. That's just my thing. But if you're somebody that is uh, really focuses on lyrics, the stuff in here is powerful. Like, mm-hmm. really well written and intense and just really good to dive into. If you like that kind of kind of stuff also. These days you will learn to love again And these days you will learn to love again And these days you will learn to love again And these days you will learn to love
following the the path of the band after Act Three, he Casey took a break. Was you know wanted to go write some different stuff. They did the the color spectrum stuff and Migrant, which is a sort of a great pop record. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but we're not covering those because uh, we're just sticking to the uh, the Act albums. Then he comes back and writes and records Act Four and Five at the same time, and releases them about a year apart. And uh, so we'll go with Act Four. And Jordan, what do you got? Um, I, I think I picked the obvious one, but I had I had to go with Waves. Yeah, it just that's... blows me away every time I hear it. Um, it's so it's one of the. I mean, again, I don't think he writes happy songs necessarily. Um, but this one for for a song that's not you know thematically happy, I guess it sounds very upbeat. It is very poppy. It's very bright. It's very warm. Um, going back to like again the Beach Boys thing, this really does remind me of something like from Pet Sounds or Smile. Yeah. Um, and there's just I don't know. It's I think it's one of the catchiest songs they've written, especially the bridge. Um, you know the whole I was feeling this ship was sinking. You were telling me to just keep drinking. That whole part is such an, yeah. a turn, but it's just it's hypnotic and it's just so. It's one of those songs that I think could get the mainstream attention, and it's one of those songs that. Is layered, but it's not nuanced and like weird enough to turn people off. I think it's one of those songs that pretty much everybody has to like. Well, to I, think, I think the best part about him writing that song is that prior to this, he signed with these producers to try and write a pop record yeah. and uh, was hating it so much that he was intentionally writing this pop stuff that he bailed on the deal and the money that was going to come with it to oh. go back and write the act albums and ends up writing the poppiest song he's ever written with yeah. waves almost, which makes no sense, but it's almost because he wasn't doing it for a particular reason. He ends up writing this song. Strays on a stay you'll see. This one was easy uh, for me. So, the the night on the town, uh, I, I was like at, a, at an airport somewhere, uh, getting ready to fly to somewhere, and uh, I saw this was released. It was the first one that he releases a single, which is odd. It's a nine minute tune. And um, when I first heard, it, I was like, oh man, I was at my gate. I was like, I need to hear this now because I'm going to be on a plane for eight hours. I need. Nah. So I put in my headphones, I heard it, and I was just like seriously welled up. <laughs> like, I was just, I was like, oh no, I'm embarrassed. But it's got all the, the things I like about like, The Deer Hunter, which is, is 
you know, I love when he uses these themes over and over again. And, uh, you know, I heard a theme from when I was, you know, in high school on act two or whatever. And then I'm hearing it again when I'm more of an adult in this context on this kind of set. I don't know. It was just the whole thing yeah. kind of hit me. Right. And, uh, He's got, I don't know, like three or four themes in this that are reused, but he's also got uh, like the chorus, or, uh, not chorus, What's um, there's this build-up section, uh, more melodic section kind of halfway through, which is from Act 3, um, Untitled 1. It was like the one of the demo uh, Oh, really? That's cool. Record. And it was always one of my favorite pieces he ever did, but I wanted it you know, to be a real song, and it, then it became a part of Night on the Town. It was just like the whole thing came together. It was just the perfect song for me. Must we remind of exchanges existing so long ago? Would we arrive in agreeable musings, sentimental or just confusing? We lost what we had that we took it back. No, that's that's an amazing song. This to me is my favorite album. If I had to pick one, um, because it's just it's everything from parts one through three, but just more like he actually had more time to sit and make it, and mm. it's more it's more diverse. It's all the styles. Every song is e- easily accessible. Um, and every time you hear one of the songs, you think this is the best song on the album, and then another one comes on, and you're like, "Well, you've got to be kidding me!" Like now this one, and that's how I felt when I was listening to this album. And uh, it's the album when I was doing my book, I wanted to represent the Deer Hunter some way in it, and I used this album as as that because I felt like it encompassed everything. And the song that I chose from it, "Waves," would have easily been a, a choice for me as well. Um, I went with the bittersweet four and five, which um, ha- for me has that sort of Beatlesy, super tramp, mm-hmm. kind of bouncy pop thing. Um, maybe again going back to the vaudevillian stuff, but it's a little bit more poppy, more polished. Um, and uh, I just, I just love that. But what I love even more about this album is, uh, you know, going from something like Night on the Town to the squeaky wheel which is this great sort of pop song to the bittersweet stuff to king of swords which is like a dance groove song um it was an atypical one yeah i mean um wait which is sort of this chunky rock song that he likes to play live i mean the whole thing is again it's it's not one style on this album at all it's 15 completely different songs on on one album which is amazing to me so 
that's my choice for that one. you have the reprise from act two of the hey kid get a get a god i used to say right yeah that's it yeah that's it it's 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 just so cool it's just it's really cool stuff um and then one of my favorite reprises that he does is is he takes the old haunt chorus and puts that in act five Mm -hmm. which which we'll get into which i love that one no i was gonna say the end of the old haunt um there's, there's somewhere at the beginning of the album um, that references Act Two as well. I think it might be the end of. I think he references, yeah, like the the crux of the old haunt in Act Five, but at the end of the old haunt goes back to one of the previous albums too. But I forget. Yeah, it's got the lake and the river uh, opening. Thing. Yeah, yeah, like yeah I think all, so. Yeah. Yeah. So Act Five, which came out, uh, I guess, now a couple years ago. Um, yeah. Again, another just brilliant masterpiece the most similar album to another album. I think it follows in the same sort of style and approach as act four, which he obviously they wrote and recorded them at the same time. So I think that makes sense. Um, he seemed to, I pointed that out to him and he, when I interviewed him for after when act five came out, I interviewed him for pop matters and I brought that up and he seemed, it was just through text. So I didn't get like the tone, but he kind of seemed like he didn't like that idea that they were similar, but they absolutely are like two halves of a project. Well, not in a bad way I, I, at oh, all. Uh, I mean, there's still things on the, on Act Five that are completely out of left field. I mean, which you know, songs like Mister Usher, which are you know Frank Sinatra, you know, thirty thirty yeah. style song, and um, you know, there's stuff like that all, all over the place on this record. So, uh, Jordan, what's your choice for Act Five? Um, this was, a, I mean, they're all difficult. And initially, I, I just to go along with what you were saying, I initially thought that Act Four was better. But I just listened to both of these two last week before even like really planning uh, this podcast. And I, I think five is the superior of the two. Um, and a big reason is for my choice is the moon awake, um, which I mean, again, I see that as connected to regress and they're all it's all one thing to me. But the moon awake to me is kind of the epitome of everything Casey Crescenzo does in one. It's just like it's you know the amalgamation of everything that's led up to it. And it's so impassioned and emotional and catchy. Um, and then you know the way it ends with the the dear apparition is just it's that it's part a, that one part the dear apparition that sort of change and that that is the one of the greatest musical 
bits on any album ever. I, no, I, I totally agree. It's and again, like I, I think like it's such an I have such an appreciation for genius like this to, that somebody can make something like this that I literally tear up when he gets to that part because it's just, it's just like you know, there's very few things that I've ever heard that I kind of equate to like hearing like heaven in music and it's like a spiritual thing. But yeah, when he gets to that part, it's just like it's the greatest thing. Connor, how about you? Uh, yeah, so um, I guess this is the compliment to the Moon Awake, but uh, a beginning, the last track. Oh, uh, you guys are stealing my songs. <laughs> no, sorry, no, 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 go ahead, go ahead. It's a good, it's a good way to wrap wrap it up. Go ahead. Yeah, it's like undeniably the the most to me the most melodically satisfying song, and the, I mean the it's there's this part in the middle where you kind of feel the main characters, you know, he because he, he dies in this song basically. And uh, for anyone that doesn't know the yeah, story, spo- sorry, spoiler, spoiler alert. <laughs> like now, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah there's, you can feel like the uh, there's this like vocal swell where the you can kind of imagine the breath leaving the character, and then the ending has this like Lake South piano theme. That, yeah. oh, the whole thing just it totally brings it all together, like all act, all five acts. You know. Yeah, I agree. I mean, my choices for this album were going to be The Moon Awake, and if not, there was going to be a beginning. So, uh, But I, I want to say that the, the Moon Awake is because of the part that you talked about, Jordan, which is the the beginning of it is just sort of this great rock song, and it's, it, it's everything that the band sort of sounds like, and then when it changes into that other part, which is just a home run, it's the greatest yeah. thing. And, and it, took me, it took me not to cut you off, sorry. Yeah. 
No, it just took me, again, another few listens to catch that he brings that back at the end. I think that's the part Connor was talking about. What if the silence is broken by the ones you've loved? And it, like, this moment of, like, epiphany or, uh, or optimism, and then the music swells, and then he brings back that Dear Apparition part, and it's just, it's genius. It's absolutely well, incredible. Well, the reason why also the, the beginning part, I think, is what I love about that is that, and, and Connor, you know this from some of the stuff that, that Haken does and working with Mike and, and all the prog guys, Neil, Neil Morris and all that stuff that you guys have always been involved with. And I love that stuff. And that's absolutely my favorite stuff. It's not a criticism, but it's that he could have done that at, to end this Epic five album thing. He could have done the Epic song with the drums and the orchestra. You know what I'm talking about? Where where it builds into like this thing with lots of you know, lots of singers and guitar solos ending it out with ten minutes. He could have done that, and you would have excused him for it because it sort of makes sense as a way to end this. And what I thought was the genius of it was to end it in the exact opposite way, where it's just him with some strings, you know, bringing back that melody. It's just pure genius way to end the whole thing. Yeah, and then the reprises Connor mentioned to that. Recur- like, I mean, I thought that like piano motif re- reoccurs throughout the whole series, but and it's almost like the, I distinctly remember hearing Act Five for the first time, going you know for a walk. The same way I heard Act Four, I went for a walk outside my apartment, and I could hear the end of Act Five, the swelling after he says "A New Beginning's Waiting Patiently," and it swells. And I thought he's going to bring back a melody. I like, and in the leading moments, moments leading up to it, I was thinking like, what am I about to hear? And then it comes on, and I just like smiled. I was like, yeah. I was really happy with the ending of the album. Really happy with it, yeah. for sure. And as you said, as you said at the beginning of this whole podcast, like I've, I've you know, I, I love writing about all the genres as you do, and Connors, you love being a part of it, I'm sure. And but if there's one band that I think is just criminally underrated, and just, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, pisses me off that nobody knows about them. It's the Deer Hunter, and it's because of the stuff we've been talking about. Like, how does nobody know about this? Yeah, or few people know, I should say. Before I close the curtain, fade uncertain spirit to the dark, endlessly apart. Can I fall into the ocean? Send my soul.
So I'm going to, uh, just to pick another song, since my first and second choices were, were taken, I'm going to go with a song called Cascade, which is the song immediately after The Moon Awake. And another, the reason why I'm picking it is because if you, if, if you go back to what I told you guys, which is I hadn't heard this band before, this album, mm-hmm. and I heard the single revival, and then I heard the opening, the moon awake and, and whatever. And I'm already on board because that stuff's killer. And then, so Cascade is like this weird, almost Carpenters kind of 60s pop song or something. I don't know how to explain it. Um, and it's just really, really killer. And it just from hearing that second song, Falling the Moon Awake, it completely hooked me into listening to the rest of the album and started the whole thing for me. So while it wouldn't be my first and or maybe second choice, um, it's uh, easily one of my favorite songs by the band. Yeah. And um, I don't know, what do you guys think of that song and some of the other stuff on this album? I think it's a great song. I mean, it's it's structurally it's it's simpler than I, I think a lot of what they do but that's not an, you know that's not a criticism it's just sort of more of an observation um but yeah and it's just very i keep saying the word catchy it's just very easy to get into yeah it's got the good hook it's got you know again he screams hate the sinner never hate the sin and it's yeah one of the best vocalists i think around today period among many other qualities and i think the song shows that yeah his voice is insane um, Connor, any other sort of thoughts on, on the band? And I mean, do you know them? Have you met them or, or, or toured with them or anything in the, in uh, the past? I don't really know them. I mean, I've had online correspondence with the bass player a lot. Uh, you know, we've talked many times and, uh, you know, I've seen them live loads of times, but, um, you know, one of those guys uh, for like bands that I love, I don't really like to meet them. I don't know if it's just cause it, I've loved them for so long, and if I meet them, it kind of shatters the whole like, yeah. mystique of them, you know? That's um, interesting. Even if we're in a similar genre and play with similar bands and play similar music at times, it's like I, I just kind of want to keep it that way uh, as long as I can. Yeah. But, uh, you know, final thoughts. I mean, if anyone's been listening this long, they're probably a big fan of the band. But if <laughs> you're just looking to get into them, uh, you know, don't concentrate too much on the story at first. Just listen to the five acts that are out, or well, listen to any of the albums, and then go back and start reading the lyrics and getting into the story because that it's like listening to the albums for the first time again. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the story, it's as far as um, concept records go, this is the only one besides Scenes from Memory where I've just where it's totally convinced me. You know, um, the story is as good and as gripping as the music uh, at times. So I don't know. Yeah. For me, I agree. I mean, I don't know that anybody's done something like this five albums worth where it all ties in together and the music is so broad. I can't think of another example. And um, I mean, I think like Cohen and Cambria, I think is close. The most well-known band that does something like this, but, but they're I mean, not, I they're not musically this diverse though. Yeah. That's what I was going to say yeah. is like, in terms of a, a branching narrative, I think they go for it. But musically, and I love Cohen and Cambria, but I think, I mean, even like there's, 
I, I wouldn't say the Deer Hunters is the only band that sounds like this. I just discovered a, a great band called Dirt Poor Robins. There's the Family Crest. There's uh, formerly the Reign of Kindo. There's the, even the December sometimes. But I think no other band does it nearly as as well or confidently or with the diversity of the Deer Hunter. They're really one of a kind. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, guys, thank you so much. I hope we enlightened anybody that listens onto the to the band and. Uh, I appreciate you guys both taking some time to uh, to uh, talk about it and, and lend your voices to it. No, thanks so much. I, I, any chance I can get to to talk about the deer hunter, I will. <laughs> That's yeah. what I figured. <laughs> I'll have you both on again at some point to talk about something. Awesome. Maybe okay. the next the next Haken album. All right. Thanks, sure. Connor. Thanks, Jordan. Yeah, yeah, take it easy. All right, guys. Bye. 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 I've been running through the night again, trying to find. 